Let me look at the clock again, and we will today definitely stop by 9 o'clock. Now, the theme for your 41st Missions Conference is the urgency. I see that you have put it in red. And so I have tried to address not just evangelism, but the urgency of evangelism in the world today. I give you four main reasons why we need to be urgent about the propagation of the gospel. And the first reason was that uh, there is a literal hell line. We don't know what is the statistics now, but we may think that uh, by the seconds, many thousands of people are heading towards Christless graves. And when you begin to look into the Gospels, the Lord Jesus Christ tells us about the state of the lost, a place where there is gnashing of teeth and weeping, uh, intense suffering because of the absence of God himself in that place. And because of this hell line alone, I shared with you yesterday night that uh, we can never be too fast in gospel work. We can only be too slow. So I hope that would become a little bit of a rebuke for those of us who think that we are doing a lot. We give thanks. We don't want to decry achievements done for the glory of God. We give thanks for every soul that is saved. I am not happy with the fact that uh, we have got more than 40,000 people saved through the ministry of MAP in partnership with the churches. I am not happy with the fact that we have baptized more than 13,000 people, given out 10,000 Bibles. I am not satisfied with the fact that we have distributed 1.5 million tracts uh, this year alone. Again, with the partnership and prayers of God's people around the world, we will see at least minimum more than half a million gospel tracts distributed in the local languages of the peoples in Asia, the rural places of Asia. I've tried to share with you that many of these places are inaccessible except by foot. And you, we, we are literally supporting a lot of what we call foot evangelists. Uh, they will go by foot. Uh, we try to follow Jesus' model of two by two. I try never to start off with any new country, be it Thailand. It's probably going to happen in September of this year. Uh, with one person, we like to get them two by two. In the Chinese new villages uh, in peninsula Malaysia, uh, minimum more than 50 or such villages. These are little enclaves of, you know, uh, villages that maybe development has forgotten about them because you, you, you don't see them, they're out of sight. But we don't want them to be out of mind. And uh, we are trying to work with churches in the vicinity to stir them. Can we partner so that we can train you and send a preaching team in so that uh, perhaps a few hundred of these souls can still have a little village church planted there that they can have access to. The second reason why we need to be urgent about the task of evangelism is that there is a speed race that is going on for the gospel. So if we don't let the lion of the gospel get out, deception will get itself entrenched in that place. We are already seeing this in my last visit to China, uh, literally last year. I was shocked to see that even in my wife's hometown of Harpin, that there is considerable amount of idolatry. People are already worshipping these little idols, you know, all over the place. I don't know whether they come from Hong Kong or Guangdong and all these places, the southerners. But uh, I tried to share with you that uh, 
There is no such thing, spiritually speaking, as a neutral territory on earth. It doesn't stay in a vacuum for a long time. If the church does not proclaim the truth, let the lion out and fill that place with the truth of the gospel and the word of God, other people will come in with deception. And uh, if we want to learn a lesson from Europe today, I think the difficulty in Europe is, uh, spiritually speaking, short of a revival, we can't save the place. Because uh, there are just too many layers of isms, the wrong kind of isms that have been built. You know, it's almost like a thick wall. Before you can get through with the sound of the gospel, you've got to take a long drill and just, just drill through it uh, before you can get some sound through. There is liberalism. There is uh, humanism. There is secularism. There is agnosticism. There is skepticism. There is atheism. You want me to add on some more? <laughs> Lots of it. I mean, you could write a whole book on all these isms and what has gone wrong uh, in that place. Uh, and uh, what we are seeing today in Europe is uh, because of all this vacuum, uh, we are seeing the rise of magic, witchcraft. So I've tried to share with you the alarming situation, and this can be statistically borne out in the so-called former Reformation countries of Germany, of Switzerland. Geneva, by the way, is the number one witchcraft capital of the world. Are you surprised? There's supposed to be the Reformation Center for John Calvin. Uh, I just came for last week from the missions conference in Grace Community Church, and we had the privilege of, as a church, in the Sunday morning, or rather, I think it's in Sunday eve, one of the evenings, uh, the entire church just stretching out their hands to pray for one of the global missions team members, Bernadette, who is going over to Geneva. Uh, you know, that uh, God will use her to learn how to engage in spiritual warfare for the place. Uh, there is uh, Islam seeking to rapidly take over Europe, right? Just as we are trying to gospelize the world, Islam is trying to Islamize the world, in particularly focusing on Europe and very often using the United Kingdom as a center and a launching pad to get out there. There is, of course, the a lot of this petrodollar coming from Saudis and, you know, all these uh, Islamic countries trying to fund the Islamic missions, particularly wanting to take over Europe. So there's a need for the church, as we think of the urgency of evangelism, to think how we can re-evangelize Europe. I hope to talk a little bit more today. The fourth reason, uh, the good news now, is that uh, we are seeing in the providence of God, although there's spiritual decline in Europe, uh, there, is, there is so-called a lot of fires uh, moving around in Asia, in Africa, south of the Sahara, in Latin America. So really, the task of trying to spread the gospel is quite simple. Where there is spiritual vitality, you go in to fan the flame. And this is what we are trying to do in China. And I would like to humble myself that there are far better preachers than me in China. I met a man in, in China with supporting him and a wife coming from a, a village. He was working in a train station. He came to know Christ. And when I met up with him, in fact, that was, he was a man who issued a Macedonian call to me that started off rape. I was studying Ch uh, Chinese in, in uh, Beijing, Tsinghua University. 
And, uh, you know, after the first term, uh, through a Malaysian friend who works as a visionary there, he's a businessman. Uh, this man was working with Kentucky Fried Chicken. He's an accountant, graduate from Scotland, accounting degree. And he went there and the spirit just caught hold of me. He saw the Chinese there and said, I think the Lord wants me to stay here and do missions here in China. He, he literally experienced the words of Jesus, the, the great shepherd, that when he saw the multitudes in China. By the way, those of you who have been to China, you don't have to walk. You just have to stand there and watch the people. You get tired. Everywhere there's people. You go to the train station. Well, I go to Shenzhen. I say, this is not a holiday place. I'm getting tired just standing still watching the people. <laughs> One thing you learn about China is they, they, they don't respect the, uh, the zebra crossing. So I find it very strange, you know. How come the zebra crossing has a policeman standing there to whistle? Because zebra crossing means you better run like a zebra across. You know, the car is going to bang you. So the policeman got to stop the cars. So I say, what's the point of zebra crossing? Nobody respects it. Uh, by the way, a lot of Chinese don't respect the red traffic light. They, make, they have a lot of glee in trying to beat the red traffic light. Choom, choom. So anyway, but, but the rate of accident is not too bad. Somehow even the bicycles are there. Even the bus stops for the bicycle. So, uh, so this man was convicted to, to stay behind. And he stayed behind for more than 15 to 20 years now. Right? He started a chain of chicken, because since he learned from Kentucky chicken, called what you call wonderful chicken. Right? All over the place, no? many, many different cities. So there is spiritual vitality and missions in the economy and the providence of God, the flame and the center of gravity of the church has moved from the Western world to the non-Western world. Now, that fact has been acknowledged very strongly, especially in Lausanne 2, 1989. That the center of gravity has shifted to Africa, south of the Sahara, Asia, and uh, Latin America. So today, as we stand here in 2013, we need to learn how to work together. The West has a lot of publishing house. When I wanted to write another book, brother, not to discourage you, my professor Wodka says, I was telling Ward, why don't you write books? You study under F.F. Bruce. You know, you are now 72 years old. Leave something behind. He said, the trouble is, every year I go to book exhibition in, in Canada and the West, uh, they got thousands of new books being released. <laughs> it's kind of, will I make a difference if I write another one? <laughs> are you with me? Yes. Yeah, but that's not the case, I'm sure, in the Bahamas. That's not the case in Asia. Very few Asians write because we are just so busy in, in ministry. So we need to see how in places where there are fire burning, little fires here and there to go there and, and fan the flame. Yesterday, I, if you remember, I, I shared with you that uh, one of the quickest ways to advance uh, world missions and the spread of the gospel is simply address the issue of what I call a mismatch in missions. In the West, great tradition, buildings, publishing houses, etc., etc. In the East, a lot of believers, very few gifted Bible teachers, very few books, uh, a lot of workers in the rural areas. I, I cannot take even any kind of a statistic in rural China, but I can tell you probably there are way more than 600 
people waiting to, 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 to plant churches, to take the gospel to other parts in the rural areas, and they're just waiting for people to come around and encourage them, to fan the flame, to support them, give them tracks, give them some sustenance so they can get going with the job. So we in the more developed world, uh, Bahamas probably has many hundreds of years of church history by now. I don't know your, the history of your own country. 300 years? Okay. And uh, with your strong Bahamian dollar, uh, I have tried to share with you not to despise your dollar, that uh, three to four Bahamian dollars can translate to a whole Chinese Bible for a new believer. Uh, and it translates to just foregoing a cup of Starbucks coffee. Somebody will get a Bible for, for the next 25 years to read the Word of God. Uh, and so, you know, little things uh, mean a lot. And don't despise it. Just because I don't have $100, I think it's a bit shy. I better don't give something. Don't think like that. If the Spirit of God has touched you to release the 3 $4, release it. If the Spirit of God has touched you to release the $30,000, release it. And I've tried to share with you that God is no man's debtor. And you can never outgive God. Right? I, I think I should share a little testimony about giving. When we had our 10th anniversary in 2010, so I invited my coordinator friend from Nepal, India, and Bhutan to come. He was a young man when I met him. In fact, he, his face is here. You saw him yesterday there in Nepal, standing on the rooftop. He was a man who got me into Bhutan, Pastor Nandu Gurung. So he was single, about 22 years old, when I went into these missions in the three countries, in the Himalayan countries. When I invited him to come in 2010, he stayed with us. I was mar I'm married now. And Lydia was there. And he started sharing with me, now I'm married. My wife is half-time school teacher. And if you go up to some of these places, I have started not just a church, but an orphanage. I say, how many orphans do you have? He says, we have about 32 orphans. I say, do you have enough money to feed them? He said, frankly, I sometimes only have enough money to feed about 12 of them. So I felt about <laughs> sorry for that. Uh, in fact, I told him, come on, brother, you come. The minute you leave your house in Kalimpong, in the hills, we're covering you every cent of it. All right? The minute you step outside of the threshold to the airport, flying, everything, you don't have to spend anything. Everything, ministries for Asia Pacific will cover for you. More than that, we're going to give you a love gift to bless you. So I thought that it's already doing a lot, being pretty generous. But when I hear of his story, I just couldn't sleep that night. He stayed with us for about a week. And I felt the spirit disturbing me. And the word given to my heart is, you, give him something as well from your own pocket. Whoa, I said, I thought we were giving him something already. No, 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 I want you to give something to his ministry. Go and bless his ministry and bless his family. Because now he's got uh, two daughters, two kids now. He's no more single, you know. <laughs> and he's got a, a ministry that's needing help. So, okay, one of my habits is that then I begin to pray to God and get a number. So, how much? So, I won't tell you the number. So, the Spirit gave me a number. Okay, alright, I think I'll do that. But being a married man, you don't just simply give away without talking to your wife. You know, that's the thing about getting married. So, I consulted Lydia. I said, you know, the, the Lord is speaking to me to bless his brother, give him something out of our pockets. So, I said, I prayed about it. And I sense that the number is this amount. So what do you think? That was a mistake. I shouldn't have consulted her. 
she looked at me and said, you know, this brother come from so far. By the way, my wife is always a more generous half. He's now married. He's got an orphanage. He's got a ministry. He's struggling. Take the opportunity to bless him. So how much? Try and give him double the amount. <laughs> so let me be, be very frank with you. Uh, it's an experience that God taught me. So uh, I, I thought, oh, this is of the Lord, you know. I think suddenly it's a voice of God coming to my wife. I think, yeah, that's correct. That should be the right amount. So I put the amount, gave it to him and blessed him. That was on a Friday. And then he left, you know. Let me be frank with you. I wasn't praising the Lord after that. I was feeling sorry for myself. And I, the language that came to my mind was, I mean, you can be generous, but not that generous. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was only feeling sorry that I've overdone it. Now, I was in that state of mind on a Saturday and a Sunday. I preached in the largest full gospel assembly church. All right, three services. Is it large? The whole church in the city is about 8,000 people. Is that big? Okay. <laughs> so I was still in that state of mind. He asked me to speak on the Holy Spirit and missions. I went there. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my wife I'm feeling lousy inside. I think I've overdone it for the month. And, you know, the Lord knows what's inside me. After the service, in between, uh, you know, the, the, the deacon and the elder told me, come on, come, have some refreshment and fellowship around before the, the second service begins. And suddenly, two sisters jumped at me and said, Pastor Chine, do you remember me? Uh, you know, 15 years ago, we were there in the mountain for a prayer retreat. You were there, we were there. Yeah, sorry, sister, I can't remember. It's, it's so long ago. And they accompanied me. Let me share with you a real experience. And while I was having the tea, they came out with a huge stash of cash. That thick. Two sisters stood beside me. And they said, Pastor, we would like to give it to you. So I thought it's for the ministry. I said, okay, sister, can you give me your name and address? I will make sure a, a receipt comes from the office. You know, it's a lot of money. I won't tell you how much. Okay. <laughs> And then they said, no, 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 no. We were sent separately for the ministry. This is not for Matt. This is for you, for your personal use. And by the way, my sister wants to bless you with an equivalent amount. I can't even put it in a pocket. Is that thick? Oh, the Malaysian notes. Oh, dear. Listen, I don't want to give you the amount. Uh, so when I went back, I have to admit that was the first stack of notes I counted. Quickly counted. It was three times the amount I gave away. But let me give you a lesson. The lesson is not that you give so that you get three times back. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? When you give, you give unto the Lord. Can I hear an amen for that one? But God is trying to tell me, come on, don't, don't feel like that. You know, I'm not your debtor. And I know the situation. So let me challenge you in excelling in the grace of giving. So you may not have seen it in your 41st thing, but can Calvary Bible Church envision one day when you will give away millions of Bahamian dollars? You think it's impossible? It's been done. Many Malaysian churches are giving away millions. Sometimes in one or two weeks of collection, they can collect five million. I'm giving it in our ringgit in some of our churches in our city and all. 
So I want to challenge you to excel in the grace of giving. One of the ways to empower the, the run of the gospel worldwide is to excel in the grace of giving. I have a chapter in this book that I wrote called Empowering Others. Let me read to you. All right? It's a quote from Sir Winston Churchill. We make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Think about it. And those of us, by the way, who are, let me quote some American authors, Bob Buford, already in the second half of life, the other half of life. If you want life to be significant, the focus is not on just getting, getting, getting. Real estate or what have you, I don't know, all these things. The focus is on giving. With one hand I receive, I want to multiply and give. I sometimes tell people, they must be thinking I'm a very materialistic minister. I want to be a millionaire. I want to raise millions and give it away for the glory of God. How about that as an ambition? I don't want to touch it, but I want to give it away for the empowerment of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, here's one from the book of Proverbs. Uh, let me quote it to you in the King James Version. Again, on empowering others. Uh, let me get to that chapter. If you want to take it down, you can take it down. Under the chapter on empowering others, I really believe in this ministry that as we begin to empower others, Camp Bahamas, and what have you, uh, we will empower the run of the gospel in this nation and beyond. I don't seem to get my chapter. Just hold on. Heart Frontiers. Keep in step with the Spirit. Gospel power. All right, chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 7. Now, this is in the King James Version. Listen carefully. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. Very, very powerful. Okay? So, I want to challenge you to excel in this grace of giving. Turn with me to the scriptures now, please. And uh, the topic I want to look at tonight is windows of opportunity. Right? I've got about 20 minutes left. I'll make full use of it to share with you three important windows of ministry that the church of today in the 21st century, it doesn't matter whether you're here or in Malaysia, you need to seize the moment. All right, yesterday I didn't have time. I read uh, Jesus' Olivet Discourse on Matthew 24 about the signs of the end times, about the distress. If you read, there will be earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, etc. But this is going to intensify as we await the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But right in the first century church, third with me to the book of Acts, we find that already things were happening. And see how the early church responded. Look at Acts chapter 11. Turn with me to that one. And uh, no sooner had we had the church in Antioch formed, and Paul and Barnabas for one whole year taught the church, and they were called Christians. They were disciples. Uh, let me just make a point here. I agree that discipleship is very important, but you don't make a disciple uh, without people learning to respond. You don't make a disciple just by having them attend class 101, 102, 103 and give them a certificate of completion. Disciples are people who live out uh, the heart of God and the life of Christ. And so how did the early church express discipleship in a practical way, i.e. the church in Antioch? Look at verse 27. 
All right, in verse 26, we were told that the disciples were called Christians first and Antioch. And you understand that it's a little bit of a nickname. The outsiders call them that way because uh, they seem to look like Christ. That these folks in Antioch who meet together, they were little Christ. They were Christ-like ones. They resemble the Master. During this time, verse 27, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and threw the Spirit. Now this is predictive prophecy. Predicted that a, can you underline the word, a severe famine. I'm going to trace it for you now, alright? The word severe. We're going to go through the scriptures. A severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius the emperor. Alright, so how did the church in Antioch respond? Now this passage is very important for the end times. The disciples, can you underline, each, everybody, nobody just was a passenger in church. Nobody was indifferent to the severe famine. That, is soon, that will soon come upon, shall I say, the Judean brethren and the people living in Judea. The disciples, each according to his ability, they decided there was a decision to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. And this they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, I don't belong to the Bahamas, but you can reflect during the Haitian crisis, I'm not here to judge you. How did you guys respond? Okay. Perhaps some of you say, looking back, maybe we could have done more, you know. Maybe more of our people could have been mobilized there to pray, to help, to counsel. You don't understand, you understand that when there's a severe earthquake, uh, it is not just the issue of money. I mean, they need money, they need blankets, they need food, uh, they need tents. When, when the Sichuan earthquake came, suddenly five million people were without tents. Now, China is known as the world's largest factory. Are you folks with me? Almost every imitation good you can find there. Alright? When I got a shirt for Chinese price, something like 20 ringgit called Nike, my friend says, this is not Nike, this is Nike. You know? <laughs> when I show him like this one with the horse, he says, this is Ralph Lauren. He would say, no. From China, this is Bluff Lauren. <laughs> okay, all this stuff. But suddenly... Uh, the world's largest factory didn't anticipate a Sichuan earthquake of that magnitude. Suddenly, a country that loaned more than $3 trillion to United States is asking the world to help. What are they asking? Surprise, surprise. Can you please understand? Because we are caught. We don't have enough tents. Five million people don't have a little tent or roof over their head. We don't have enough tracker dogs and probably tens of thousands of people or if not hundreds of thousands of people may still be alive and buried underneath the rubble. So could you please send tracker dogs? Sniff here, sniff there and bark here, bark there. Instruments and all that. And there were stories of people that they've given up after seven, eight days and still coming out alive and people are clapping and all that kind of stuff. And, all. and so the end times with a lot of natural disasters, earthquakes and all, calls for a concerted response from every member of the worldwide church. So I've spoken to Grace Community Church. Whenever you hear uh, something on a television, don't despise that Bahamian one dollar. 
you take a percentage of a country, everybody puts in one dollar and you have some kind of a crisis relief coordination, a lot can be done. I was in Canada at Grace Chapel. Grace Chapel is the founding Brethren Assembly for Regent College. I was there for three years. It was during the time when the, can you remember the dictator Romania, Ceausescu? When he fell, suddenly they discovered that there were hundreds of thousands of these babies born out of wedlock in the hospital. I still remember uh, the Sunday service when the, the church collected uh, a lot of gifts for these hospitals. Uh, one of the brothers, Brother William, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, and the wife was a nurse, he's a medical doctor, he led a team from our church, uh, not just with money, not just with medical equipment and staff, but I said, I need a lot of volunteers to come with me. I think we were in the airport, we sent off about 20 of them, just from the church. Uh, not just, you know, he's not just carrying money there. He says, because, you know, uh, when we went there, we went to the orphanages, all these places where babies were born out of wedlock and just left alone. Even your cat in the house is better taken care of than these babies. And when he came back, he said, the first thing we did when we saw those babies, every one of us went there and tried to hug as many of them as possible. We don't know if they live for long because they have been left there for umpteen days, just like that. So it's not just giving them milk. I mean, you give them milk, but babies need more than that. And he was telling me as a doctor, I don't know how many of them will grow up normal, but we just hug them. Hug them, hug them. You know what I mean? You don't have to be trained to hug a baby. Do you agree with me or not? Hello? You just have to be available. And so there's a big window of opportunity open. The church must respond. All right. Let me quickly now trace this thing, this severe famine. How did the early church respond? Was the church in Antioch adequate in its response? The answer is no. Turn with me now to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And so you see the interconnectedness of the New Testament churches. We can never be a local church unto ourselves. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and if you are taking down notes, can you just write down 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1, if you will. Let me try and trace it for you. I'm looking at the clock now. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Very interesting, because of this famine, Paul went around the churches to take a collection to help to bring relief to that suffering. So severe and huge is the magnitude of this famine that even though everybody in Antioch, we don't know what's the number, all we are told in Acts 11 is a great number of people believe. You know, Barnabas was there to preach and a great number of people came to faith. Give and take maybe 300 people compared to the 3,000 that we had to Peter's Pentecostal preaching in Acts chapter 2, the church in Jerusalem. But that wasn't sufficient if it's 300 people responding. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul now says, you know, he has taken a collection from the Macedonian churches, i.e. the church in Philippi. But now he says, you know, I'm coming to you, Corinthian church, to take the same collection, gather it together so that we can bring relief to the suffering brethren in Judea. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 1, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. All right, let me just pause for a while. 
The test of a grace in the life of an individual is his ability to give. And I'm not just talking about money. Uh, I would like to underscore, emphasize the principle of sacrifice. For some of you here sitting in this congregation, giving a thousand Bahamian dollars is no sacrifice. Are you with me? Going on a trip to go and hunt the babies is a sacrifice. Because you may miss your fishing boat. You may miss some things here and there. So I want you to think, what is it that I can come before God and say, God, this is my sacrifice. It could mean time. Let, let me move on now. So now he holds, on the exam, holds out the example of the Philippian church. Out of the most severe trial, they are overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, well up in rich generosity. And Paul says, you know, I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. At that time when I gave to that Indian brother, it's quite a lot. It's almost a huge chunk of my monthly salary. That's why I'm feeling bad, you know. But the Lord quickly replenished it. So I said, thank you, Lord. You're a great encourager. Uh, you know, entirely on their own. Now, this is a secret of great giving. If you want to be a church that uh, is great in resourcing others, uh, not just in terms of finance, but human resource and people, all of us in this mission conference must come to that point in our lives where we say you voluntarily you know, you want to first of all give yourself first to the Lord. Entirely on their own. This is voluntary. This is not coercion. This is not, uh, you know, trying to cycle you to give, make you feel guilty so that you don't go home and enjoy your ice cream. This is nothing of that sort. Entirely on their own, we were told here, they, the Philippian church, urgently pleaded with us, listen, this is the mindset. Giving is a privilege. Would you like to turn to your neighbor today and that may be the best words you speak in this ministry. Turn around, turn to your neighbor and say, giving is a privilege. Yeah, they, they pleaded with us, the, the, the Philippians, just for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. How, how, do, you, how do you get a gospel fan and move it around? See, giving is a privilege. Learn to share in this service to the saints. Learn to empower the saints wherever they are. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord. That's the secret. You know, when you have given your life to the Lord, what is money? <laughs> what is money? Uh, you want me to be frank? I would rather not stay three weeks in the Bahamas. <laughs> I'm a married man now. I enjoy my cats. I also enjoy my plants. I enjoy my hi-fi set. I enjoy my car. I enjoy Malaysian food. Nothing wrong with Bahamian food, but I love my Malaysian food. Okay? I mean, those of you who travel, uh, you know, us, us, uh, Lal. Lal was in Singapore when I first met him in the Haga Institute. I was there to lecture. He said, even though Singapore food is nice, but after one month, I'm pining for Bahamian rice and peas. Whatever it is. I mean, because you're trained like that, your stomach, you see? Uh, I tell people, they ask me, what's your greatest sacrifice? Three years studying theology in Canada. Greatest sacrifice? I have to eat sandwiches and salads. That's a sacrifice. I miss my fried kway teow. I miss my, I miss my Hainanese chicken rice. You understand that, Ampusam? All right, you're shaking your head. No. Okay, let me move on. Away with food now. So, Paul is holding up the Philippian church as a 
powerful model. But he quickly turns to the model of the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 9. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Listen, this is a powerful principle for world evangelization. Verse 11 or verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, our desire, I, you know, in taking a collection from you, Corinthian Church, is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. So can we learn to work as a church worldwide on the principle of equality? China, a lot of workers, very little support. Can we work on the equality? Flow something there so that things will flow in that country. They need Bible teachers. They need books. I've shared with you, people copying the purpose-driven life in Chinese. Hey, what's happening? I go to Bhutan. The pastor of the largest church in Bhutan, you know, the, the, the Bhutan don't even recognize Christians. I, I look at him and say, Brother, you are a bivocational pastor. He runs a restaurant called Hasty Tasty Restaurant. How about that? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so anyway, pretty good food. And they say, how do you prepare your sermon? You, you, you know, there's so few people and you're always preaching. I say, do you use a Bible dictionary? I met him in a hotel, you know, secretly, because it's very tight inside there in Bhutan, in the capital. He, he looked blank. He said, you never seen a Bible dictionary? Okay, come here. Let me show you what's a Bible dictionary. I happen to have a Bible with a little dictionary. See the world map here? The Bible dictionary. Do you have commentary? He looked blank. What songs do you sing? Only a few songs. Mm. I went with three other intercessors. I said, come here, sisters, three of them older ladies. Can you empty your bags, all the hymn books, all your Bibles, and give it to the church? You can buy plenty anywhere, walk around. You can plenty of bookshops in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, go, go and resource this, brother. Okay, here, mine, mine has a concordance. Can, can you please get mine? It's, it's a gift. I give it to you. He doesn't need money. He's got money. But he doesn't have a bookshop up there. Are you folks with me? So it's not just about money. It is about resourcing what the church needs in each particular area. Our desire then is what? For equality. Listen to what Paul says here. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. I like this. So that in turn, when it's your turn to be helped, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much. He who is drawing big fat salary is not just living on big fat salary but learning to share with other members of the body. And he who gathered little did not have too little. I like that principle. That's a beautiful principle. And if we can learn to catch that, giving is a privilege. We give so that there might be equality. Rural China has a great discrepancy. I was just watching CNN and BBC, the outgoing Prime Minister Wen Jiabao. See, it's a great concern, the disparity between the urban Economy and the rural. It's like completely different world. When I went there, I had to make sure I go to the toilet early. They gave me an apartment. I was teaching the rural church. 300 people is going to a little hole to do their business. Assimilation, I find hard to do it. I'm very frank with you. They don't even have a flush toilet. They got to dig a hole. Everybody goes to the same hole. Okay? For a little business, they put a plastic bag. Everybody does it in a small plastic bag there. That's rural China. 
So we need to help our brethren because the fire is there. And we don't know how long it's going to be there. But we need to help them. All right, very quickly, I'll just say that end time itself brings for us huge opportunities. God is doing new things in the Bahamas. Let me say it again. It's not too early to say I hope it's not too late. God is going to send many nations to the Bahamas. You're going to have cross-cultural missions at the doorstep. Today in Malaysia, we've got all kinds of people. 50% of the babies born in the Malaysian hospitals are from foreigners. How about that, about taxing local facility? 50% of all babies born in government hospitals are not Malaysians. They are foreigners. We've got almost 1 million Indonesians, most of them Muslims in Malaysia. All right, three-quarter million or something of Filipino mates, Vietnamese, Nepalese, Bangladeshis. A guy who cuts my grass in Nepali, I've given him a Bible. All right. Uh, in some churches I visited, the, the first church service could have only about 60 English speaking. The next one that comes 11 o'clock, two buses, hundreds of all Vietnamese factory workers are coming to church. All right, that's the situation. And, and I believe it's something that's going to happen in the, in the Bahamas. So windows opportunity that God gives to us, cross-cultural missions that does needs to be captured. I told the story to the previous church, you know, after World War II, when the Japanese surrendered, I can't remember who was the general, I think General MacArthur who signed this surrender thing. You know what I mean? Went onto the ship, right? MacArthur? Uh, you know, I had to go back because I wasn't born then. When you got saved, brother, I'm still not out in the world yet. <laughs> Sorry to highlight the difference in the age. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, when the, the fledgling church in Japan made an appeal, send us a thousand missionaries. I heard it from Leighton Ford when I was there in Colorado as a young man under training. He said the Americans couldn't send, they were not ready. I think they could hardly make even a hundred missionaries to get there. I don't know how many got there. Would the history of the church in Japan been different today had the church been able to respond to the need of the hour, that window of opportunity that was open. Are you with me? If any of you understand this OMF, one of the hardest fields, they always pray. You, know, you go and join the OMF prime meeting, it's always this mission of always praying for Japan because it's a very resilient, very hard country. Would the story of missions for Japan today be different had that request been met? Are you folks with me? Yes, sir. The window of opportunity is gone. It is lost. Alright, I want to begin with two positive, share two positive stories now. One is in the book. In, in 2006, I went to the Cook Islands on invitation, working with the Assemblies of God, ministry meetings, evangelistic meetings, and there I found a lot of mainland Chinese, about 100 over of them, building a, as a gift to the Cook Island government, a central police headquarters. They didn't just give money, they sent people to build Alright? And so I, I said to the church, why not we capture the opportunity? They are here in a foreign land. You are the host. Why not you host them? S say we're going to dance for you. We're going to have a fun time in church. We're going to give you the Cook Island dance, you know, this thing and all. Intercultural exchange. They will come. They won't refuse. You know, international exchange. So they did that. All of them say they're happy to come. But Chinese people don't like to come empty-handed. Say, no, we just can't come and eat. That's not our Chinese culture. We insist on donating two piglets. I say, accept the piglet. <laughs> Bring the piglets here. And so people were doing all this barbecuing and the piglets. 62 of them in this page heard the gospel. 
62 of them got tracks about the love of Christ. We don't know how many we got saved, but it was a great time of sowing. There was this suddenly a big window of opportunity to sow the Word of God, the way you're doing the tourists. So, brothers and sisters, we must capture the window of opportunity. All right. One more story, a good story in Myanmar. When Cyclone Nagis hit Myanmar, several Myanmar, the worst hit area is in the Irrawaddy Delta areas, not in Yangon, although it's pretty bad. I saw the roofs and all. Few thousand people drowned. They couldn't run fast enough. The water rose too fast. Even after two years, they are still, that place is still revealing uh, bodies hanging on to tree branches. Are you with me? Almost like fried sardine fish. I'm telling you, human bodies. I've got all those pictures. I don't want to show you and spoil the appetite, okay, over here. Suddenly, in all these small little villages along the Irrawaddy Delta, every one of them is a Buddhist stronghold. Evangelists had no open doors. Every evangelist tried to go in and say, we are Buddhists, thank you very much, please go out. We want to stay that way. We already have our monk here. Okay, the rope and everything. So please, we got our religion, don't come in. No entry point. Suddenly, because of Psychonagis, they don't have water. Christians managed to get the, you know, this food, supplies to come, blankets, cooking oil, rice, water purification tablet. You could, you could get the seawater or whatever water and throw in a tablet and it purifies it. You could drink, you know, it's okay. It handles the E. coli and all. Suddenly, when the boat, the so-called uh, of Christians bringing relief to, 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 to sail on, along the river. They found that people were on the shore like what you see. Hey! They were shouting, please, if you have something, can you please stop water? Please don't bypass us, stop and help us. Some of them even climb up the mangrove trees, tear their t-shirts, make a flag to wave just to catch attention because they were desperate. For days, they don't have water to drink. We sent about six evangelists in. I'm sure there are a lot of relief efforts going on. They didn't stay for one day. They stayed for six months, one year. There was a sister, talk about sacrifice, there was a, a sister from Myanmar who was earning big fat, maybe eight times salary of what she would get in Myanmar in, in a hotel in Bangkok. And hearing the plight of her country people, she resigned from the job and became one of our evangelists. Took a meager salary and stayed there for two years to minister to the victims of the cyclone nuggets. What is the bottom line? Because we went there to love them in practical ways. When the window of opportunity was open, Buddhist monks came to Christ. Children came to Christ. Families came to Christ. In many of these hitherto strong, whole Buddhist villages, Christian churches today are now planted right in the midst of these villages. Can you give God a hand for this one? This is the window of opportunity. So in the end times, let me say that to you. Can I say it again? I never tire of saying it. Don't despise the one dollar. And don't complain if your pastor keeps passing the bag around. Alright, so I think I better run away from Calvary Church. They are passing the bag too many times for my comfort. Nobody is asking you to put a thousand dollars in if the Spirit hasn't touched you that way. Just put the one dollar in. Are you going to be worse off if you walk off with one dollar less from this church? But you have numbers. What is this? It's coordination. The will that each of us want to do something to bring relief. One more point. We must learn to work with bodies of integrity, i.e. especially church and Christian agencies. 
So the Lord had to convert me. Because I, I, I am pretty strict with money that comes in. Some of you give me money to buy Bibles. I'm telling you, I already put it in the envelope. It will go to Chinese Bibles, brother. It's not going to go anywhere else. So I'm very strict with it. This is it. A is A, B is B. If I want to change to B, I'll ask you, can I now change to B? I don't simply switch anything. In other words, I want to honor the heart of the giver. So we are an evangelistic fellowship. I said, none of our money is going to go towards church building because that's not the purpose for which the people give us the money. They give us for evangelization, not to build churches for people. Are you with me? Even though it's ministry. Uh, none of our money is going to go to social concern. We, we're not a care kind of thing. Or world vision or something like that. Because we are set up for the speediest evangelism in Asia. Then suddenly, when especially the first one, Sichuan earthquake happened, we got a phone call from China. <laughs> Some of the evangelists now call our office and say, uh, talk to me in Chinese. We are here. I say, where are you? I'm in Sichuan. So what are you doing there? We have come here to help. So I say, how are you helping? Say, we got no money. We only got enough money to take bus to come here to do something. I said, okay, I remembered. I gave you 500 gospel tracts, the four spiritual laws and whatnot to give. I said, can you please don't give the gospel tracts first? Because the people need water, they need food, they need medicine, they need prayers. Are you with me? They need blankets. So give them the physical food first. But they don't have money. So immediately I said, okay, I think the Lord is saying something to me. Don't be so stiff. We need to love them in practical ways. Can I say amen for that? I rang around the Malaysian churches. I didn't ring you, but... We collected over 32,000 in Mentor Robi. Okay, we're going to send it to you. I want you to give an account what you buy. Blankets, tents and everything. That's why you saw someone carrying tents and everything going inside there. And so, in the end times, alright, God is giving us a special opportunity to respond in practical ways. Hitherto, stronghold countries. It may be happening in Europe. Stronghold secular countries. And perhaps the way I look at it, with that I'm going to end. Why today there's so much of financial crisis? God is humbling those countries, listen carefully, that had Christian roots and have abandoned their roots. You can, if I use a stronger language, maybe God is judging them. Today, who are the people uh, needing IMF help and all those things? It's not mostly Asians. Where are they? The big countries, Portugal, Ireland, Greece, Spain. What are they? All of them are Roman Catholic base or Protestant base, but they have jettisoned God out of the picture. They wanted to do it their way and go it on their own. So God is perhaps judging these countries. And I want to say more judgment may be coming if they insist on keeping God out of the picture. And, but these are opportunities for us to go there when disasters happen to minister the love of Christ. Social concern is a very powerful partner in evangelism. All right? If you learn to love people in practical ways, learn to host and welcome people who come to the Bahamas, All right, aliens in your land, you will find that maybe even in Calvary Church in time to come, you may find more alien Christians than behaving Christians sitting in your pulpits. You know? This may be the new thing that God is doing because left in their own countries, many of them would not have the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, one final example and then I'm off. Antoine was there and said his final never ends. That's a problem with a preacher. If we end, then we are out of business. So our final always, there's still another final coming, another final. In the church that uh, I'm involved in now, we have purposely shift. We sold the church building. Pretty high rental, but we know what we're doing. We are literally just below 
where on top of this uh, shopping centre, few hundred international students are staying on top of us because we wanted to reach the international students. All right, to cut the long story short, we have baptised Iranian Muslims. Well, you can't go to Iran but because Iranian students by the droves are coming to my country. My country today wants to be the educational centre of excellence for Asia. When I was a young undergraduate, we only had five universities to go to. Today, in Malaysia itself, you have over 200 universities. There's the programme of the government and we want to capture the opportunity. Now is our chance to reach the Iranian Muslims. Now is our chance to reach this guy, that guy. And every year, we are seeing foreign students coming to Christ and getting baptised in the river. So I ask that God will give you the ability to respond to windows of opportunity. When it comes, it may not come forever. Seize the moment. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, in the midst of shaking, it is also part of your purpose. Some of us, Lord, we need to be shaken out of our comfort zones. Some of us need to be convicted to give up materialism and the pursuit of the American dream that perhaps may have come to the Bahamian shore. The middle, upper middle class dream and not having a concern for your purpose in the world. Lord, we pray that in this particular mission conference, you will convict us. Help us, O oh God, because the human heart is deceitful. Even for some of us who have been Christians for many years, Lord, it is so easy to take you for granted. It is so easy to take the blessings that you have bestowed upon Bahamas for granted. Forbid it, Lord, that we should take things for granted. Today we are learning as we watch Western countries, even as we watch America on a fiscal cliff, oh God, we are learning that, God, you are no respecter of persons and nations. That unless the nation is loyal to you and faithful to you, the blessings will be withheld. And perhaps even curses can come upon that nation. So, Lord, today we pray. We pray for Camp Bahamas. Thank you for the opportunity and the big window open to minister and to catch the youth of the nation for Christ and to form them in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the words spoken today that perhaps to that camp, the future prime minister can come from that camp. The future cabinet minister can come from that camp. And Lord, while the church is still numerical, would you help us to make a stand for you and help us, O oh God, to be successful in defending biblical values for this nation. Same-sex marriage to be out. No gambling and lottery to be happening. The reduced reduction of drug addiction, Lord, in this place among the youth. More importantly, O oh God, uh, the reduction of uh, children born out of wedlock. We pray that there will be a change of thinking, of culture, that the fear of God will come upon people, that people will love Christ and want to honour Him, that they will not just play church with God, thinking that they've got their salvation secured, they can do whatever they want in their life. So we pray for sanctification and a growth of depth and holiness for the church in the Bahamas. We pray, O oh God, that there will be a great spirit of generosity that comes upon the church. And even as you begin to bless the Bahamian Christians, they will not just hoard the blessings to themselves like the Dead Sea, but they will learn to give generously. And they will learn to excel in the grace of giving. They will learn to be like the Philippian church. They will learn, O oh God, we will learn to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, who was rich, but for our sakes became poor so that through his poverty, through his pouring out of himself, 
others may be enriched. So Lord, help us, help us to live significant lives tonight. We ask you to make significance out of our lives. Help us to focus more on giving rather than just receiving, we pray. Thank you for the words that remind us it is more blessed to give than to receive. And thank you, God, for reminding us that to Him, much is given, much is required. And so we take seriously, Lord, the responsibility of resources that you have given to us in this land, in this church. Help us to share so that there might be equality. We pray and ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thank you.